of you awesome paddle enthusiasts. Thank you so much for coming back to the Rise and Glide podcast hosted by myself, Maddie LeBlanc, and my co-host, Holly Pye, uh, founded also by the awesome paddling app called Paddle Logger. Uh, we're stoked this week to have our special guest, John Hibbard, on with us. But before we get into the episode, I just always want to know, Holly, how the heck your your week was and, and what you got up to, because it seems like there was a lot of cool things going on uh, in your neck of the woods this week. Yeah. Hey, Maddie. So this weekend was super cool. Like, I didn't get much paddling in, um, but I went to the Isle of Wight um, for a few days, and I watched the start of the Fastnet, which is a... Um, like an offshore sailing race. Um, it's about 700 miles. It starts in the Isle of Wight in the UK. They go over to Fastnet Rock in Ireland or just off the coast of Ireland and then back to France. Um, so it was really, really inspiring actually because we had quite good weather in the few days up to the, the start of the race when um, all the guys were like training and preparing the boats. Um, they had light winds and sunshine and it was great. Uh, but the, the forecast for the day of the race was, or the day of the start of the race was awful. They had like mega winds, pouring rain. It was horrendous. And um, it was actually like not the best weather for spectating, but I couldn't really complain because they were the ones having to race in it. So um, I think there was hundred, several hundred boats that entered, but over a hundred pulled out in the first few hours. Like some of them were demasted, um, and like there was injuries. And, I mean, that's not so cool, but like there was loads of really bad things going on because the weather was awful. And I've seen some videos of the weather like on the boats, but it just it was really inspiring that these guys were just like going out into it anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't know, just and I'm kind of. Now, like, wow, I need to stop being so soft when I'm like, oh, I need to go paddling, but it's a bit rainy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh, <laughs> what a win. <laughs> oh, I think it's so funny because it's so true, right? Like us, you know, I mean, like you paddling in the UK and me paddling in Canada, like we're not in easy mm. locations where like the weather's always nice or like it's kind of mild. It's like sometimes you do just have to suck it up to go out because or else you're not going I out like, it's not happening. I was um I was oh. like scrolling through Instagram a few days ago and how nice would it be to just you know when it gets cold just go somewhere warm and keep training and yeah but uh then I also think that's kind of what toughens us up like there's lots of things that that toughen us up and the weather is just one of them so if we have it too easy, if training is really easy and life is really easy and the conditions are always really easy, then if ever we get to a hard race, it's like we just don't have that mental toughness. And um, yeah, I was kind of thinking that actually with my own training. So I, when I'm racing, like I seem to do better in conditions that are considered quite difficult. Like I'm not fast but I'm able to just put my head down and keep going and I really enjoy them I get bored when it's like you know everything's too nice and too easy when the water's flat like don't get me wrong I love a flat water glassy paddle you know when the board's just gliding along when there's a nice sunrise or something but if it's too easy you know if there's perfect weather no wind nice flat water you keep paddling and it's like okay something interesting needs to happen now um but I actually yeah training wise I think I really enjoy it when things are a little bit harder like the wind you know an upwind downwind training session or um, in the waves or doing some technical skills that I'm not very good at and I have to figure it out um, I find that kind of the most rewarding or those the most rewarding sessions and that kind of just yeah it kind of just was all like a, one of those moments where everything just clicks and I was like yeah if we do have things too easy we just get bored and then we don't do it. You have to have that kind of, it has to be just hard enough that you're progressing, but not so hard that it puts you off for life. Um, <laughs> and yeah, these guys sailing, it kind of, it really um, kind of hit home a little bit where like that was brutal. There's no way, there was like 40 knots of wind and torrential rain. It was really stormy. It was awful. There's no way you'd be able to paddle or even you know 
wing or kite surf or anything in that it was just way so strong um but it just made me think like yeah if you do have things easy you don't I think you end up not doing so well in the long run because you just yeah you don't have the mental toughness that it takes to then go out in those conditions when you need to so that's my speech of the day yeah (laughs) (laughs) I mean honestly Holly it's so true and like watching your performance at the ICF uh distance race in Poland last year like that's where you can tell like that kind of mentality like it pays off right like I think more than half the pack like did not finish like there were so many dnfs and like you were up there like in the (laughs) like you finished it you know and and i think it it is those races where sure maybe like okay you're not the fastest but you're not the slowest but the fact that you even finish a race that is that difficult is that's a win all in itself and and there's a lot of aspects to life and paddle boarding (laughs) that are like that right sometimes it's like you got to go through the the hard stuff to get to the good and and then the good is pretty dang good at the end of the day you know like you can really pat yourself on the back and be like wow I did yeah. that so I couldn't agree with yeah, you more no, but <laughs> it's so hard to remind ourselves of that when it's at the middle of January and it's dark and it's freezing cold and you really just want to do anything but go outside at like six in the morning to go paddling before you go to work or something um or go to and do a hard gym session or whatever it might be it's um yeah I need a maybe I need to make it my lock screen or something like make it a reminder that you can do hard (laughs) things and it is worth it um yeah because you're so right it makes the good things so much better yeah, I have a like a little mini whiteboard in my room and uh, the title on, on top of it says like motivation for the week. And then every week I just kind of like change what my motivation is because it keeps me like I feel like on top of my goals or at least the vision I have in mind. And even if I don't hit that for the week, that's okay. Like I take it easy on myself. Like I'm not like beating myself up at the end of the day, but sometimes it's like nice to have that intention when when it is hard you know when you when you do have those days where you're like oh my god like even right now in welland i mean like okay it was thundering (laughs) so like i'm not gonna go out and thunder but like it's still raining and i don't hear the thunder anymore so i'm like okay i think i'm good to go for a paddle in a bit but i'm like do i wait for the sun do i not wait for the sun you know like it's so easy to get caught caught in that uh mentality yeah. for sure so <laughs> what's your motivation for the week this week I'm interested Ooh, my motivation for the week uh this week is to strengthen my core through breathing so I've been learning a lot about kind of the posture of my body and and when I paddle I've been learning that my ribs kind of like flare out a bit so um I have like a condition in my low back that's called like lordosis, which a lot of people have. And there's like a, a, a regular kind of normal curvature that you can have in your back, but then it could be like super extended and mine's like just a little bit more on the super extended side. So it causes me to flare my ribs. So um, this week, basically after paddling, um, I have to come home and like do these breathing exercises to kind of like tuck my ribs back into like a good position that allows me to breathe properly which helps to strengthen my core which is like the foundation of of my house (laughs) so uh (laughs) that's my motivation for the week is to kind of like just actually have like a little bit of a better posture so that it strengthens everything else yeah it's really interesting you mentioned that because I'm sat here right now with really bad posture but that's exactly what my (laughs) back injury was based on like uh that kind of hyperextension of the lower back and um I didn't realize I honestly had no idea I was doing anything wrong I thought I had I mean none of us are perfect but I thought particularly when I was paddling that my posture was quite good um but it turns out I was just using totally the wrong muscles I wasn't using my core at all um and yeah it just got to the point where I was just in like excruciating pain um so definitely keep up with that because you don't want to end up honestly the pain was so bad (laughs) but I would do anything to anyone like please if anyone's listening to this podcast which hopefully you are strengthen your core do not do what I did and assume that just because you paddle lots your core is probably quite strong because 
it's not it's simply put yeah simply um, <laughs> so no i'm glad to hear that that we're, we're probably both doing the same exercises <laughs> i bet i bet yeah we we should be comparing our like yeah it's like our like little physio notes like what are you doing what are you doing <laughs> but interestingly i can feel the difference oh. now with my paddling which is really cool i mean it's taken a long time um which i think is kind of expected when you're just strengthening those little like muscles and trying to put it into practice as well but i can definitely notice my you know notice the extra kind of stability when i'm with every paddle stroke um and i feel like i'm much more efficient with my stroke so it's it's definitely worth it like you say it's kind of the the foundations of your house yeah no it's so true and i i think actually i remember we were talking about this a couple weeks ago like you were saying or i was saying that um like kind of going back over the techniques and the basics again after your strengthening and your rehab through like injury um makes you feel like you're like a brand new paddler again because you've like taken what you used to do and like you've remolded it into something else that essentially allows you to have a better performance but like I don't know like the first couple weeks I just really was like whoa okay this feels so weird like I feel like okay here I am like pausing at the like entry phase of the stroke to like really make sure I have good power when then I like pull through and then what does my exit look like like all these pieces made me feel like wow I'm a new paddler all over again you know like it it makes you feel humbled and like starting from like new beginnings but I think it's kind of cool to like to feel that way again and I'm sure we have a lot of people on the podcast that are new paddlers um which is pretty rad too so like honestly if if you are listening and you're brand new you know just really focus in (laughs) on your technique (laughs) you don't have to do what holly and i did like relearn it over again (laughs) and yeah we'll probably have Uh to i think it's an ever-evolving thing right like we'll probably always be working on our technique i don't think there's anyone out there who's an expert and even if they are so many people uh like run clinics for technique and um and things like that and i've been to some before um but we're all so different, you know, we all have different heights, different strengths, different weaknesses, different arm lengths, different leg lengths, um, hip widths, like there's no one right way to stand on a, a board and paddle because two people of the same height, one might have longer arms than the other one so they can do something slightly different or somebody might have really strong legs and they're able to use their legs more and yeah it's it's definitely I think it's always going to be a work in progress but you're so right I think focusing on your technique is way it I was gonna say more important than fitness but maybe not like it's it's just really important I think um for for injury prevention but also if you know people are wanting to get into racing it just makes you so much more efficient as well yeah absolutely and you know what um I think it's kind of cool to like segue that into into our guests that we do have this week um john hibbard of of red paddle co because you know if anybody out there is interested in buying like a red paddle co board um there's boards of all different widths all different lengths and sizes uh for different purposes of paddling but i think even you know, on a Red Paddle Co. recreational, like, leisure board, um, which I think is, like, their most popular, like, selling board, Um, you know, just having a good technique can actually go a long way in terms of, like, being able to paddle, like, a further distance and really, like, enjoy the most amount of time on the water with, like, outputting, like, the least amount of energy or, like, Mm. (laughs) like, just making sure that you have, like, a good time and you know you're not like leisurely paddling and then you know after like an hour you're like oh my arms are sore well it's like oh hey if you actually like lean forward a little more and as we mentioned like use your core you could keep leisurely paddling for like two hours or three hours and bring a picnic and have some fun yeah (laughs) if you want to get into like touring or just exploring more you can go a bit further you can paddle further up the river uh, than you've ever explored before or you know around the coast or wherever you might be you can go the full way around the lake rather than just a little bit uh, a little bit longer maybe not quite full, the full way around one of your lakes okay, that would be 
a long way uh, <laughs> one of the great lakes in Canada but yeah you can just go so much further with the same energy and so whether you're into racing like we are whether you're into just chilled out social paddling whether you're into touring whatever it might be you can just you can you can do more with less which is really cool um and I think I think Red Paddle Co have really kind of honed in on that and um focused on that market so well that they're now I think probably the leading black brand um <laughs> but uh it was really cool chatting with with John actually and hearing all about how he got into developing uh stand-up paddle boards today we are so stoked to have on the show John Hibbard from Red Paddle Co uh, he once was a competitive windsurfer, traveling all over the world, having a very successful athletic career, and also was around in the early stages of uh, the boom kind of, of stand-up paddleboarding, I guess, when, when the industry started to take off. And John saw a gap in the market and was able to fulfill it with his company, uh, Red Paddle Co. So John, we are so happy to have you here today and welcome to the show. Thanks, Maddie. Yeah, thanks for inviting me along. It's great to be here. Uh, well, honestly, yeah, we're, we're so stoked to, to chat with you today and to learn about, you know, not just Red Paddle Go, but everything about, you know, the man behind it and uh, how you came up with, with the company and how your innovation and creativity have just taken you uh, to where you are today. So I personally would love to know kind of like your beginnings of your windsurfing career, how you got into that and where you kind of started off in the world of water recreation sports. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think a little bit like paddleboarding, a lot of lots of water sports are pretty addictive, um, especially if you grow up doing standard sort of team sports or field sports yeah, through school or whatever. For me, anyway, I, I was looking for something a little bit different, something that my friends didn't do um, or, or that everyone didn't do. And, it, and there was an element of excitement. And yeah, it's ultimately driven by a bit of a, I guess, a passion to do that, but also to have that kind of exciting sport that, that just delivers you a different experience. And windsurfing, I, I think for me, was probably a natural uh, option in that I lived on the south coast of the UK in the county of Devon, where we don't get a huge amount of surf. I obviously really wanted to get into surfing as well, but surf was pretty junky and uh, and not, but it always seemed to be windy. And, uh, and I started windsurfing in 1991, I think, um, when the sport was already kind of got evolved quite a lot into a kind of fast-paced, adrenaline-sort-of-fueled sort of sport. It was, it'd gone past its sort of meandering days on a lake, you know, so I, being, you know, whatever I was then, 13, 14, it really it really looked exciting and I think that's what I want, wanted to try and to achieve. So, uh, so yeah, I just, I sort of threw myself at it really. Um, and as soon as you start going, you know, you just, I just got more and more addicted to it. Um, and wanted to spend all my time windsurfing and that's kind of really, that's the basis of the start of my story. It was just an addiction to going out in the water. And I think I still have this with paddleboarding that particularly if you windsurf on the ocean, on the sea, you know, you can windsurf out half a mile or paddle, you know, half a mile out, mile offshore or whatever you're doing. And you look back at the land, a completely different viewpoint that at that moment, pretty much you're the only person having that view. So I don't know, I'm not a big lover of busy, crowded places, for example. So where everyone's sharing the same experience, sometimes that's nice. You, know, you can see a favorite band or something at a concert, but otherwise it just feels a bit sort of busy. Whereas out in the water, you sort of stand back or you fall in normally when windsurfing and you look, you get up back up and you look you look back at the land and you go, wow, no one else is seeing this view that I'm seeing right now. And I remember that from a very young age being kind of cool and captivating and that, that space that it gave you. Um, so that was, that was something that stick, stuck with me actually through paddleboarding. You know, quite often, I was thinking earlier today, I was working at the desk and thinking, oh, tonight I'm just going to grab a board, paddle out. And I just, I can picture the scene already, you know, it's gonna, I know what it's going to feel like, I know what it's going to look like. And it's, you know, it's going to be nice and calm. There's no wind today. Um, so that was part of my part of the draw for me so windsurfing yeah it became an addiction so I just had to find ways of fueling that addiction I, I often wonder if I hadn't got into windsurfing and if that kind of addictive personality if I would have ended up being addicted to something else not so healthy maybe I don't think so but um you know it I needed obviously something to to, to sort of pull me along and to captivate me so yeah I, I windsurfed every single second I could 
find and I, I, it wasn't that easy actually when I started to convince my parents to drive me to the 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 shore or, or the river to, to go and to go windsurfing so uh, as soon as I could get a car learn to drive I saved up my money I mean it was about 300 pounds which is not a huge amount um, buy a car and when I wasn't repairing the car I was windsurfing basically um, and that just each step I took just I got more and more engrossed in it to the point where I became an instructor I then got a job after university in a windsurfing shop and school which again just immersed me in the industry and that was really good from a paddleboarding industry perspective although we didn't know what paddleboarding was then you, know, you start to learn whether it's you know retailers or brands you, you, you start to network by just by default and that's how I picked up a lot of my sponsors um, so yeah by early or well, late 90s I was yeah, nine years after starting windsurfing I was basically on the on the cusp of turning professional mostly because I just uh, keep wanting to sort of fulfill this or, or feed this this passion addiction um, I spent six seven years competing on the international circuit um, which I did the wave sailing discipline so that's wave sailing so wave jumping surfing riding waves amazing I mean what a, a great life I, I don't make any money out of it but it was uh, it was a, I've seen some amazing places I've windsurfed in in incredible locations and conditions um, and yeah, to the point where being on the water, standing on a board, felt like a comfortable pair of slippers when standing on the land, you know, particularly in, in sort of more formal, formal settings, really uncomfortable, you know, actually. So I was really comfortable on, on the water, which is actually ultimately how I ended up setting up Red Paddle is that as I navigated towards the end of uh, what the natural end of my windsurfing, professional windsurfing career, partly due to injury, partly due to... The, the crash of 2008, the credit crunch, the financial crisis and, and struggling to get more sponsorship or, or maintain enough sponsorship, uh, I thought, oh, I better get a job. <laughs> but the idea of actually going and get a real job, in inverted commas, um, did kind of scared me. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to go and do that. You know, I must find a job in, uh, in water sports. And by that point, I was already paddleboarding. So, yeah, it, that's sort of a very quick potted history of how I ended up in on a paddleboard really I suppose um, I use paddleboarding for rehab as well because I had quite a lot of ankle injuries in windsurfing because your feet are in a foot strap um, foot straps and um, obviously doing jumps and and things it, the crashes are quite hard um, so yeah I never broke any bones but I had lots of ligament issues so paddleboarding was really like being on a, on a constant wobble board basically on the water but I hated going to the gym and I hate training for training's sake you know so I'd rather go do something and paddleboarding was a great way of rehabbing those injuries that's really interesting wow um what got you into competitive windsurfing rather than just going out and having a great time in local spots Yeah, good question. I'm just really competitive. I think I got a twin brother and he started windsurfing just a little bit after me. Uh, I then had a couple of school friends that were, that were also windsurfers. We changed schools at, around the time we started windsurfing. So I met these two two new two guys, two new friends who were windsurfers. And so I, I don't know, I just wanted to be better than everybody else. So once I decided I was better than them, I'm like, right, well, I'm just going to try and be better than everyone else now. So I, I remember actually it was I don't remember the year exactly I was but I was 17 or 18 I think 18 and I went to the youth national championships which were back in those days quite a large event in Weymouth um, uh, and I was doing okay locally so we used to have a little ro local racing scene in South Devon and I was probably doing I was probably finishing in the top three or four um, positions against you know men or um, adults as I would put them then you know experienced windsurfers on a weekly basis and you know, I'm pretty good at this. So I decided I'd go and race at the Youth Nationals and I think I came second to last because I didn't realise quite how fast you had to go and how you know exact you had to be. So that And the same thing happened with paddleboarding. When I first started racing in paddleboarding, I think, no, I'm pretty quick. And then you, you go to the foot, your first event and you go, oh, no, right, you're supposed to paddle like that, aren't you? So competition is great because it really pushes you. It pushes you to get better. And I think that's really what it is. I just try to get better all the time. So... If you if you if you're if that's if that's what you're trying to achieve, if you do that in isolation, then yeah, cool. You can you can be good in your own fish pond, but if you get in the ocean, you realise you're not as good. So for me, it was just a way to test myself, challenge myself, and 
and I guess score myself against everybody else or anybody else I was competing against. So yeah, I think that's probably how most people reason to get into it. I definitely didn't get into it thinking that I was going to get rich or anything or even be world champion initially. You know, that wasn't really my, my aim. Part of it was kind of image, I suppose. And I would, you know, I'm talking back days pre-internet. So we, you know, our, my monthly fix, literally a monthly fix of windsurfing was to go down to the local news agents and pick up the, the windsurfing magazine that came out every month. And you'd see all the bright, glossy pictures and all the sale numbers and sponsorship logos and you think, ah, oh, that's what I want to do. That's cool. That looks cool. So it was partly driven by stupidly competitive nature, but also partly from wanting to follow that sort of carnival that looks so, so glamorous, which in reality was way less glamorous, but, um, you know, no one needs to know that. It, it was, uh, yeah, I think that was, drove me on. And say so I got into paddleboarding very early on and I raced and I surfed comp in competitions for the same reasons, really. Why, um, why wave sailing competitions? Because for any listeners that aren't, uh, aren't into windsurfing, I mean, windsurfing's not my, one of my main sports, so correct me if I'm wrong, but there's different types of windsurfing competitions, isn't there? So wave sailing, where you're yep. doing different maneuvers in and out of waves, jumps, that kind of thing. And then slalom sailing, where you're, you know, round a course A to B, who can cross yeah. the finish line first i guess with wave sailing it's a bit more subjective like surfing competitions you've got people judging you rather than who can cross the finish line first did that always work yeah. well for you or were there any moments where you you know felt like unfairly judged or anything well i think the reason reason why i ended up in wave sailing is it's kind of for me it was always pro mm. progression so you couldn't enter a wave sailing competition when you weren't good enough you know you just get cleaned up on the beach so racing is your first place to go it's flat water generally it's generally or sometimes lighter winds so and you didn't and you needed less specialist equipment to start it um, so that was a natural progression partly natural progression and also so therefore as you got better I wanted to go out in more extreme conditions and I wanted to push the, the technique um, side of my abilities more um, and the other one I was just sucked at racing basically <laughs> so yeah I, I could I was Tactically, wind shifts and all that sort of stuff, and and rules. I'm not a great follower of rules, so racing rules. I'm like, what? Why do you mean we can't do that? So, um, yeah. Whereas wave sailing is way more expressive. As long as you stayed in a certain area where the judges could see you, pretty much there are no rules. Um, you had a certain time. So yeah, it was mostly it was partly down to natural progression of ability, partly down to the fact that I'd sucked at racing basically, and I just wanted to. Uh, yeah, it just looked cooler. And to go and train for racing, you actually have to go and spend a lot of time on a bike or in the gym, getting strength and stronger. Actually, training for a wave setting, what you really need to do was go windsurfing. So it seemed to tick all the boxes to me. That's cool. It's something really new to me. I'm going wing foil racing at the weekend for the first time. Mm. And I'm having to suddenly learn all of these rules, which I've never paid any attention to whatsoever. Yeah. My boyfriend's a sailor and he's yeah. trying to explain them all. And I'm just like... I've got no idea <laughs> so I can't imagine what it was like <laughs> to, to do more regularly <laughs> yeah it's fine it's good but it's uh, yeah it's um yeah, I, I say that openly it was also finance racing equipment um when you got better better at it you needed more and more equipment where way sailing you could probably get with a li little bit less equipment so I could afford it a little bit easier I think also um I do remember the first time ever doing a jump on a windsurfing board um and thinking, well, and I was I was in the middle of a racing season at that time, and I remember thinking, oh, that's it, I'm done, I'm giving up this racing lark. I actually sold all my racing kit within a couple of months, uh, and bought wave wave kit because uh, I remember just a flying sensation through the air. Um, thought this is this is this is nuts. Um, so yeah, it's just an amazing journey to go on, really, when you're young and fit and able and plenty of time on your hands, and you can drop it, drop anything, yeah. You know, that you're doing to go and hunt for some wind or the wind comes up. Yeah, I spent my whole life looking out the window, <laughs> looking for wind. Is it windy? I think oh, I'm trying to convince yourself. Yeah, it's definitely windy enough. It, yeah, that addiction actually has, you know, has some side effects, like all addictions, I guess. You missed a lot of things you should have been doing in life because you, uh, you cancelled them because you wanted to go windsurfing, which I uh, almost missed my sister's wedding for that. It was in Denmark and I was like, just stay a couple of days longer because the, con the contest had finished. But uh, um, my mum was uh, calling me and going, you, you are coming home, right? <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so cool, though. It like it, it speaks to how passionate you are too, as well about the sport, and and I think feeding what I would consider definitely a healthy addiction um, 
and I, I think, yeah, Holly, you can probably relate to a, like the, the way that progression kind of speaks to us as athletes and always kind of striving to better ourselves. And even when you get to that professional level, probably feeling like, nope, I can still progress and I'm always learning. And I'm just curious for you, like what, what does that progression look like now? Like what's kind of your definition of like development or like, is it, are you striving to progress your company and the products you make? Or is it still kind of more like, I want to go out on the water and I want to learn this or do that? Yeah, I think um, as I developed through windsurfing, what well, actually to, to maintain a, a living, to make a living out of windsurfing, you either had to be the absolute best of the best in the world, literally, or you had to be good at running a, yourself as a business. So you had to, you had to learn how to do, to do marketing, basically market yourself. You had to, you know, present yourself. You had to do your own accounts and all those sort of things. You didn't afford anyone else to help you. You had to do your own fitness training, all those, all those sort of things. So as I entered into business world, really it was, I always kind of joked, it was like swapping the board for the boardroom. Um, it, it's actually a very similar style in my mind, or at least the way I used to do it, it was, you know. It, so it, it just, you switch from promoting yourself to promoting a product. Um, and that doesn't stop, you know, so... As, as Red Palico has grown and we've become a global brand and we're selling what, 50 markets around the world and you know, tens of thousands of products, you, you, don't, you can't stray too far away from those rudimentary things. You, you know, we have 40 people working here at the head office, but it doesn't mean that you, know, you, don't, you, you stop thinking about all of those key elements. You might not do them all. I mean, my former chairman was very good at telling me to stop doing and start directing. You know, it's no prizes for doing everything. Uh, Everyone knows you can do everything. That's how you got it to where you got it, but you can't be the master of everything. So as, as we've evolved as a business and as a company, um, yeah, I think you still, your eyes are still on the same price. You're still trying to innovate and innovation isn't just product. You know, innovation is marketing and messaging service. You're always trying to innovate what you do. You're always trying to find new ways, better ways to do it, whether that's trying to save costs because that's important in a business or you're trying to find a new market. Um, I don't think it really changes. And I go back to my windsurfing, it's exactly the same, trying to find a new sponsor or a new, uh, more time to do something or a different location um, or a way of you know, getting more marketing or raising more awareness of a sponsor. Um, it's exactly the same. So it was a really good grounding. I don't think I knew it at the time, but it was a really good grounding in business. That's really cool. And when did you, when was it that you were competing in windsurfing? So what, what year did you kind of finish, retire and... I finished officially in 2008. Um, I was a British champion in 2007. I was second in 2008. So I always joke that I felt like there was a trend emerging and it was a downward trend, so maybe I should stop. Um, actually, I was very close to being the British champion again in 2008, but I missed it by a couple of heats. Um, so yeah, I transitioned out then, but I already sort of started working in the in the paddleboard industry. I think I first paddled in 2006. Um, and was involved in some early promotion of the sport through my windsurfing sponsor, but also just off of my own back. I set up, I set up a website called standuppaddlesurf.co.uk, which uh, has long since gone. I closed it down. I got too busy, basically, with Red. Um, but it was the first website in, in the UK. Um, so I, I was already looking for a transition, I think, at that point, or, or another string to my bow. So, yeah, I fin officially finished competing in end of 2008. But I, by that point, I was well immersed in setting up ah, Red. So what made you, at what point did you kind of decide that Red was going to evolve and grow? Uh, you know, was that soon after you first stepped on a paddleboard or had you been paddleboarding for quite some time before the idea? Yeah, so I, I first went on 2006, I think by sort of, and I remember my windsurfing mates, competitors, where they were turning up in the UK with this huge board on the roof of my van. They go, what the hell are you doing? What is that? And, oh, it's paddleboarding. It's the latest thing there. And, and, they, and we'd all, all sit there and go, go on then. We'll watch. You know, they all, nobody wanted to do it, actually. So very hard to get anyone to go paddling in the first year, which is funny to look at back at it now. Uh, but by, two, by sort of by the end of 2007, I think I had a lot more interest. I'd started sort of thinking about commercial um, opportunities. Um, and one thing that struck me immediately, even, even without the commercial brain on it was that if I took I had a couple of boards if I'd taken anybody else paddling they all loved it they thought it was brilliant but I couldn't convince them to buy one um, whether it was for me or not you know it was they were like oh, they're massive they're huge heavy I've got a roof rag and I can't store it anywhere and unless they were windsurfers from 20 years ago and windsurfing boards with a similar size they just couldn't comprehend how they were ever going to live 
can exist with this product. But absolutely hands down, everybody loved it. No one said to me, well, that's a bit boring. Because I, I looked at it first time, I thought, that looks the most boring, dull sport ever. Uh, why would anyone want to do that? Um, and I got convinced to have a go. I went, ah, oh, right, yeah, okay, it's different. I get it. It starts, to, it starts to fire different emotions or different feelings in you. And you, know, you paddle up a river that you've never been up uh, and, and wind your way at the river or, or, or catch a small wave rather than sitting there trying to you know, smash into it with, with your arms on a surfboard. You start to think, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. Start to get it. But you have to do it, or particularly back then, we, you had to do it before you really understood it because you, you'd never seen anyone else do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's... Uh, once I did, once I was doing that and letting people go and paddling, I realised that that was there must be some there's something to there's a problem to solve, and I suppose I'm a bit of a problem solver as well. I'm like, I've got to solve this problem because it's really annoying that I like this and I've only got one board, so I can only go paddling with two people. But if I could get more people to buy more boards, then we could create something. And I just my business brain just started to start to fire off really, and that's really what just one thing led to another to another, and then eventually you end up realising you're working seven days a week. Uh, trying to grow something that you never actually <laughs> planned of doing in the first place. It seems like quite a big task, you know, to get the I go from getting the idea to designing and producing this product and selling it, marketing it as well. It's a lot of hats and yeah. a, a massive task. Did you find it quite daunting, or did you kind of how did you get into? Not really daunting, but what what I was fortunate I suppose and I was finishing at a natural end of my windsurf or well, what I was happy to draw a line at a natural end so I had a need to do something and and also an absolute clear defined desire that I wasn't going to go and get a quote-unquote normal job you know so I thought uh yeah starting red was it was was a good way of combining my passions and my sort of also my passion for business um so no, I don't think it's daunting. I remember I do remember writing out the initial sort of plan, brand plan and, and everything, and, and just thinking, "Wow, this is this this is an opportunity." And I don't think you get many opportunities like that in life where you write something down and go, "Wow, I can I can write I can write the future here. I can really see an opportunity to do it." But yeah, that, at the time, you don't think, "Oh, but now I've got to go and do all the work." You just you just start going and you just start working and working with it. And I actually didn't winter for two and a half years, uh, not because I was I'd, I'd given up. So I didn't have time. I didn't even it didn't even cross my mind because I was so busy on this new chapter of my life that, that almost that previous passion had been put on pause and I didn't notice. Um, so I don't know, I don't think you sit there and go, right now I need to do this, I need to do design, and I need to then talk about the legal side and trademarks and patents and wholesale and shipping and logistics. You don't think about any of those things. You just go from one thing to another to another before you realise it, you become uh, immersed in it. So um, I mean I I am a sample of one. I've not done it before or since. So that's how I did it first time around. I may do it differently second time around. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing journey to go on starting a company and business and a brand. I was very, very lucky to start it in collaboration with my windsurfing sales sponsor, which is a company called Tushingham Sales. So I had already some uh, a font of knowledge I could tap into from the from their windsurfing experience. So I, you know, I, again, but I was I lucky? It's probably more more clever, fortunate move in that way lucky that I could convince them maybe but then again it's all about convincing them to, to come on on the journey with you so um, you've got to find those those shortcuts and that was a massive shortcut for me you know I didn't have to go and find a warehouse I didn't have to go and find a shipping agent they already had one so um, but that's I like to think that's just clever <laughs> that's clever thinking otherwise you don't make always up for making my life easier I'm never trying to make my life more difficult so and if you start a business up you you want to try and find every single opportunity to make your life easier um, because there's a lot to do as you say and you're not you're not an expert in any of it so um, yeah it's uh, no so long-winded answer as always to your question it wasn't daunting it was extremely exciting um, quite yeah periods of anxiety through it if you, you know I don't want to fail I think that was my, my biggest issue or my biggest concern was fear of failure and, and not being seen as, you know, being being judged, oh, well, he, remember that guy, he'd set that thing up, well, it didn't work, did it, you know, but that drives you on. So the anxiety drives you on to, to not fail, well, for me anyway, you know, I had so many people tell me, what are you doing that for? It's never going to work. And, you know, I hate being told no, or actually I love being told no, because it just, it just fires me up, you know, and uh, I've had to learn over the, over the years to take feedback better, better admittedly, but um, when, when people are trying to, 
trying to sort of pour cold water on your dreams uh, or on your vision that you've you've come up with then I, I rather than uh, get all aggressive or or depressed about it I just go right I'll show you there was actually one one case when I I think it was about 2012. So we've been going for a few years, but the first couple of years of Red were very, very small. You know, we sold less than 50 boards. Um, it, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't going anywhere, actually. And as Roger Tushing would tell me, as the chap that owned Tushing at the time, um, would tell me, he said, it's not booming, is it, John? Which was equivalent to someone saying no to me. I was just like, no, but it will be. Um, but anyway, I was in a, a trade show in Germany in 2012 um, with Red. And a very famous brand, a chap who worked for him, he didn't, he didn't run it, but he worked for them, came up to me and he shook my hand because I'd managed somehow to blag the front page of the show newspaper that they produce every day. And he came up, shook my hand and I said, I just want to say congratulations because you've done the hardest thing, you've set up a brand. And all I remember thinking in my head was, no, that's the easiest thing. Set up a logo and, you know, make some product to put on a trade show. That's easy. The hard thing is keeping it going. And he goes, you've done the hard work, but I would, I would stop now because inflatable boards are never going to take off. Uh, what are you wasting your time for? And I didn't, I could never, in to this day, I had no idea why he said that to me. I, I either said that to me because he believed it, or he said it to me because he, they were working on something and he was really annoyed that we were slightly ahead of the curve. I probably bet on the second one, probably because the following year, I went back to the trade show. I actually was a, a day late getting there, I had, um, had a distributor by that point who'd set it up and I was arriving and I turned up and I walked into the show and the first voice I heard was his voice over the loud hailer, a loud, like the speaker system in the, in the hall because there was a demo pool like you get at these trade shows and he was talking about this brand's, I won't mention this brand's latest range of inflatable paddle boards and I went straight to the pool and I looked up at the stage where he was on he looked at me and he, and he clocked me and then sort of just turned away and I remember that to, the, to this day thinking, ah, oh, Definitely, the reason why he was telling me a year before is because they wanted to do it and he was annoyed that we were already doing it. But I, that was the thing that spurred me on more than anything in the world was him telling me that. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, he tell, still fires me up when some, you know, I tell that story because I'm thinking, wow, don't, don't, who are you to tell me what, I, what I've done and what I haven't done and what I can and can't do? So um, yeah, I don't take no for an answer. And um, yeah, that really, really spurred me on. I think it really shows too. Like, I mean, Red Paddle Co., you guys are pretty much the number one, at least in North America, you're <laughs> speaking from Canada over here. You you guys are like the number one inflatable paddleboard company um, that sells here. So I, I think that's quite phenomenal to look at the trends that you learned from your athletic career and successful behaviors to get you a really good career to now transitioning to your company that that sells really well like the product does speak for itself um i work at a store here in toronto called surf the greats and uh shout out we we sell red paddle co and uh everyone loves them here in toronto they're super dynamic boards you can store them in your uh a condo an apartment like it, it's hard for people to have a hard board here just simply because of storage it's not it's not really possible in such a crammed city but um can you tell us a bit about some of your boards like maybe what's kind of your favorite yeah, model sure. that you've created or well, I, I, i'll actually tell you a little bit about you mentioned there you know they sell well uh they, they pack down small and actually that's the thing where we start when i started the the, the business and the brand i re really was quite clear on the fact that it had to be what as i classed it authentic Everything there were a few a couple of inflatable brands available or boards available at the time, and and what one reason that spurred me on to make Red was that or start Red was that they were really bad experiences. They were pretty average experiences actually. You stand on it, it bent in the middle. You had a wet feet. It didn't go in a straight line. It was a great idea, badly executed, is the way I'd normally explain it. And so I, I set about with this mission saying that I believe that riding an inflatable board shouldn't be a compromise. It should be an authentic experience. And that still stands true today. We might not be competing quite as we were against hardboards, but we are competing against much more sort of average or run-of-the-mill basic entry-level product. Uh, before we go any further, um, I think it's great to have entry-level product. I think every good, successful sport activity in the world has different tiers of product. You've got to decide where you want to go in that. And I never wanted to be the bottom of the bottom. It's what we call race to the bottom. You're just always competing on price and you just strip it out of quality components because you've got to get it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, which in a water sport ultimately puts you in a in an unsafe position uh and i'm a big 
believer in making things safe. I love a bit of risk. I love a bit of calculated risk and excitement and adrenaline and all those sort of things. Um, but yeah, even the craziest extreme sports guys is taking a calculated risk. They're not stupid. You know, they're not they're not um, putting themselves in, in a position they, they know they can't get out of. And I, I look at paddleboarding very much the same way. I wanted to get people on that water, have that experience of looking back at the land and going, wow, I'm the only person having this, but having 100% confidence with the products under their feet. So yes, you can, you can deflate our boards and put it in a bag, just like you can every single inflatable board in the world. But I'm 100% convinced that what I can stand behind the product, we know how it's made. We designed the building build process, we designed the materials, uh, you know, all the component parts that come with, for example, the pump allows you to get it to a high enough pressure. So it is a, be a better experience. It's a safer experience. It's a more enjoyable experience. You can transport it easier, all those sort of things. So yeah, I mean, our range of boards is, is diverse like everybody's, but everything is built for purpose. Uh, and a simple way to say, to say is we start with our why. Why are we doing this? So why do we do the brand? Well, it's all about believing that you can deliver an authentic, non-compromised experience. Why do we make a certain board size? Because actually it fits a gap for somebody. It, it delivers something that we think our customers are after or paddleboarders are after. So uh, one of our most popular boards uh, is the Voyager board, which is a touring board, which is something that the sport has progressed into. Um, and we have a twin fin system and a V-hole system on that. That's because we know we've, we've spent hours paddling with other people and other customers and go, well, where are you struggling? Okay, you're struggling to keep the board in a straight line because kind of the beauty of paddleboarding, for example, is you don't have to be a technical expert to have a great time. So anything that helps you keep that board in a straight line, keep, keep efficiency, will design around that. So that's why the Voyages for us is such a popular touring product because it's, it, you can jump on it, it actually works for you. You don't need a high level of skill. If you have a high level of skill, it's still really good as well. Um, so yeah, Voyages for me, is, 132 Voyager is one of our most uh, popular products. It's, it's one of my favorite boards. Um, if you're asking about, yeah, other boards, it's trying to solve those problems. So com our compact board, we have a patent on a compact board. Plenty of people try and copy it. We have plenty of conversations with those guys. Um, but the compact, um, patented compact setup is great because again, it just makes you be able to take a paddleboard with you into other locations or on trips or in, in store in a different way because it packs down to half the size. So it's just trying to find these innovative steps you can make to solve a few of those issues. So then when you come to retail, the customer comes in and says, I'm looking for a paddleboard. Um, you can actually say, well, actually, I've got a really good solution for you here. Because I don't think anyone ever walked walk into a shop and say, well, you might tell me I'm wrong, Maddie, but because I'm looking for an inflatable paddleboard because because I can't store one anywhere. They just I want to I want to get to paddleboarding and say, and then you start to find out what their constraints are or what their life is like, and you would find a thing that fits. And for sure, our, our boards aren't going to be suited to everybody for every application. But what we do try and do is solve those key issues for people, uh, but do it in a way that we are hundred percent confident in the product is not going to fall apart. I mean, the paddleboard world has been riddled with recalls in the last two years because brands have jumped on a bandwagon. They've never been to their factory. They've never. They don't understand the technical details behind it, and it's it's put a lot of people in a lot of in, in harm's way, which is kind of unfortunate and uh, and really disappointing because that's not how I I view the sport. It needs to be looked after, and so we spend a huge amount of time and money and effort making sure the product lasts and is really good and doesn't fail. Um, so that's a big part of what we do. I I think that is so important, especially when it comes to the market of inflatable paddle boards. I saw on a Facebook forum the other day in a paddling group, um, someone was kind of, it was a joke, but not joke. And they were on, um, I want to say like, it, it was definitely a Costco paddleboard, like maybe, maybe body glove or something like that. But it, it was a bad board and they were on it and um, halfway through their paddle, I guess like the middle of the deck was kind of starting to fall apart. Like the deck pad was kind of peeling off and they were actually worried about water getting onto it. And they asked someone about a warranty and then someone joked saying, yeah, like if you can get the board back to land and, you know, so <laughs> I, I agree with, you know, having good integrity and, and creating a product that is, is sustainable and, and works for people. And, and I think you're right. A lot of companies out there that exist in this market and in the, this industry are trying to cut those corners and just create a product that's the cheapest cost. But I think where's that balance of what is a good product and what will last you a really long time as well and is good quality. Um, I think definitely, I mean, I'm super biased, but Red Paddle Co. fits in that category. I truly believe. Yeah. <laughs> like I said earlier, you, you, I was compared to bikes and you, know, you could go to a, a bike store or, or like a, 
like you say, a Costco style, you know, big box store and you buy yourself a bike and you can jump on that bike and you can have some great experiences and you can get the wind in your hair and you can ride the trails. But it, and if that's all you, all you want to do, basic, you know, occasional use, fine, great. It does what it, it does what it says. Uh, and you, you need those products. But equally, quite a lot of people jump on and realise the escapism and the, and the experience it gives you. And, and then they start to think about, well, what does this, what does this product tell, uh, say about me? Or what's, you know, how does this reflect? How am I reflected in, in this brand and, and what it does? And, and same like bikes, you end up going on some trails and see some people on some better bikes or some faster bikes or easier pedaling bikes or whatever it is. You know, they, they seem to be having a better time. Uh, so the reason to buy products exactly as you say is to, is to get you know, higher technical um, quality, but it, it's equally is to, to, to think, well, no, I'd be proud to, to ride that bike or in this case, a board, you know, does, do I look at that business and that brand? Because now I'm a paddleboarder and I'm really into it and I want to, I want my product to reflect what I do. And we all do it, whether we, it's the car we drive, the phone we use, the clothes we wear, you know, it's okay. It's okay to make choice. And I think that's the thing. Sometimes people get a little bit feel stressed over, oh, well, what choice is the right choice? So it's whatever's right for you. But we all try and we just try and put across a really passionate position um, that, and our customers come back to us and sort of say that we love you, we trust you is, is, is the kind of words we get back. And, uh, that's really what we're trying to achieve is something that people are proud to own, has value, secondhand value as well as new value. So that, you, know, you know, you can sell it on and trade up and upgrade in, in your adventure as you go. So I think that's, um, that's as much a part of it as, as the technical details of it is, yeah. Do I, do I believe in this business? Do I believe in the brand? And as I say, whether it's a water bottle, a phone, computer, you, we will do it, whether we know it or not. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I guess you guys were founded in 2008 and we're now in mm -hmm. 2023. So over 10 years in the business. I think that's a pretty remarkable as well. Yeah. What's one of the coolest things that has happened to Red Paddle Co. Um, over the past 10 years? What would you say... Is something you yeah, guys so are we're, really we're coming into our what, 15th, 15th summer now. So, uh, what are the coolest things? I think there's a few things. One, one is actually st still being here. I, I know when we started it, I had no um, real, real kind of gauge on how long this would last for or what what would happen. It's just got on this mission. So that's great. Obviously, still still going and still and still growing and being very well received. Uh, the second thing that always makes me smile and feel good inside is that we've. We employ lots of people, um, both here in our head office, but also we have, you know, we we have contributed to loads of people's livelihoods, you know, to an extent a little bit. Maddie, every time you sell a board, you know, we're helping, you're helping us, but we're helping you, and it sort of it all it sort of fuels us. So we're part of that community, and you know, we're in the sport for the right reasons. We weren't jumping on a bandwagon, uh, so I feel like we've helped grow the sport. That's another really really cool thing that's happened. That, you know, we were part of that story from pretty much the beginning, maybe you know, a year or so behind the. The original boards that are on the market, but you know, we would definitely been leading that conversation. We definitely had a huge influence in turning the sport mass market due to the the inflatable technology. And a lot of what we've done over the years, yeah, it gets copied. It gets copied all the time. Um, and the, the easy way I explain that is, is like a chocolate cake. You know, you can give, you can give me an ingredients for some chocolate cake, and you give a Michelin star chef the same ingredients. His cake is going to be way better than my cake because I'm a rubbish chef. Um, and that's I know. So when we get copied, we go, yeah, but you've been copied. It's the same as yours. No, it's not the same. It might look the same. I it's inflatable or it's the bag with a zip in a certain way. But I guarantee you, it's not made the same way as what, what we've done. So that's that's cool. I'm up with that. Uh, the other cool thing is, I think some of our innovation is. I I love the fact that we've achieved what we tried to to set out. So for example, I mentioned our compact board and actually having a board that packs down half the size. Nobody was doing that before we did it, and then. Surprise, surprise, quite a few people are trying to do it now. Um, that's not because they came up with the idea in isolation, it's because they copied. But um, so we have some, you know, we have some really great innovations along the way. Titan pump, the two chamber pump that we have. So it's amazing because I am not, I'm a, an amazing ideas, well, I'm, I'm talking myself up a bit too much. I, I like me coming up with ideas. I'm not very, I'm not a technical designer, hence why we have a design team, but I, I love concepts and coming up with stuff I've got notebooks full of sketches that are really bad directly drawn but um, yeah it's great to have some, have a team that can take those ideas and turn them into a real product um, and, and to see that to see your idea 
varied physical form and then being you know reviewed and liked and everything is, is really cool so yeah there's loads of things but um part of the fun i think there's not just one thing i'm really interested to ask why the name red where does the, the like the color and the name red where does that come from uh, i think anyone who set, set a company up is will probably agree it's very hard to come up with a name um I remember in the windsurfing days we had Tushingham sales and it was sort of the agreement we had in in house within within the team was that you can't criticize a name unless you've got a better one or you're a different one um and it's so hard to <laughs> brand, brand names particularly because everything i came up with always had another meaning somewhere um in a different language or you know a different sector of the community or something and uh so it had a connotation that you didn't want to attached to your product so yeah I, I kind of got to the point where I knew I wanted to call it Paddle Company or Paddle Co something Paddle Co just couldn't get that first first word sorted I mean we had lots of lots of options actually it wasn't until I went and visited a friend of mine uh, who's a graphic designer um, I don't know how global Danger Mouse is but Danger Mouse the, co- the, uh, the cartoon which I grew up as a kid in his probably his first iteration it's had very various other ones anyway my friend was a was a animator uh, he was a Danger Mouse animator um, but he'd finished doing that and was basically being an artist, a surf artist, not just very, very good one. And I said, Steve, you've got to help me um, come up with a, a name because I'm struggling. So I'm coming up. I'm coming up to your house tomorrow. He lives on the north coast of, the, of Devon, where we live here. So he has a little artist studio overlooking the beach. We spent whole days drawing various really bad brand names, and the sun went down, the sky went red, and I just flippantly went, oh, I just call it Red Paddle Co. So hang on that. That sounds quite good, actually. And he drew it on his pad, on his iPad, uh, but he drew it in white and put a red square around it. And I went, that's cool, it's even cooler because uh, he hadn't written the word red in red. And we had a long-winded discussion about all those things. But yeah, it kind of came from that, which is not uh, not amazingly uh, glamorous story. But um, but then as you drive home, you think about it, you go, hang on, so red doesn't really mean anything anywhere. It's the most winningest colour. You know, teams that are red win more. There's, Weird, a weird statistic, supposedly. Um, uh, and yeah, it's a colour, but if you don't write it in the colour, you don't think of it as the colour. I don't know if you can, on the way we talk, we've got my logos behind me, but it's, uh, you don't look at the word red written in white and think of the colour red, I don't think. Um, yeah, so all those things really, but it was a quick, not a quick thing. Well, it was a fairly quick thing. I think like, isn't it like the most successful songs in history were written in the shortest amount of time because they just fit it just worked and just fitted and spent hours crafting it we spent hours crafting a thousand other names we spent about five minutes crafting red and then red paddle on the top so yeah that's that's pretty much that's really cool and red and blue are contrasting colors and you know blue the sea (laughs) yeah yeah And, and also the whole point of the the way we drew it initially was that red in a square paddle co after and my my entrepreneurial brain was firing on my two-hour drive home thinking ah oh, well all right i'll do red paddle co and then i can do red whatever co and red disco and red that co and i could sort of see this family tree cascading down from this this red square um fact is i got extremely busy doing paddleboards so never really did anything else we do red original now which is our accessory range of uh, change robes and and, and high spec cool bags and all this sort of stuff which is really popular and picking up a pace um but yeah, I, I, that's also the, one of the things that you, you could extend it to other things. You just don't have time to do that. There's only so many hours in a day and days in a week. <laughs> yeah. And I think you should stay close to your roots as well. Yeah, for sure. And you do it so well that sometimes it can just get really diluted. If you do, if you try and do everything, you know, with the same number of hours, then you just, you, you can't do anything yeah. to... Exactly. Extent. Yeah. Um, going right back to the start, right in those early days of of paddling, you did a few competitions. You were maybe paddling. Did you, were you paddling more then? Do you think than now, or in more in a, a kind of competitive sense? How was that? Yeah, probably. I mean, I yeah, I think I was the first UK racing champion, uh, two thousand eight or nine. I can't remember. Um, and I did yeah a lot of the surf contests. Uh, I was on. I did what is now the APP tour. I did that for a year, doing some surf contests. Um, but I realised I was just kind of rinsing, repeating my windsurfing career. And I thought well, I've done this. I didn't. Why am I doing it again? So yeah, I used to probably. I definitely paddled more in those times. I I did a few really long distance races. So I did the Devizes to Westminster kayak race, which is anyone who doesn't live in the UK, the Devizes is sort of towards the western side of the UK, and Westminster is in London. So it's it's 126 miles along a a river network or canal network and 
I convinced the organizer to let me in on that. So I, that took a while to train up for that because I didn't know anybody had paddled more than five miles at that point. So um, spent a winter training for that. I did some, I did the first 11 cities um, event that Amory Reichman set up. Um, and I did a few, I did Cape Cod Bay Challenge over in, uh, in Boston. So yeah, I paddled, I used to paddle a hell of a lot, but then that was before I got married and before I had a child or a son. So, you know, things like that get in your way a little bit. Um, and also before Red took off and I was traveling a lot. So yeah, definitely those early years I paddled a lot, but you think you have to, if you're designing product and coming up with ideas, you need to be on the water. Still paddle, I paddled yesterday morning. If we paddle every Wednesday, uh, 7.30, we was team paddle, so we will go for a paddle. Um, I'll be probably out tonight. So I probably go paddling as often. I probably just don't paddle as long, I'd say. That's amazing. And uh, are you going to hop on the Voyager tonight if you go? <laughs> Actually, I got a compact. I was uh, out on the compact yesterday. And it's still in the back of my car. So I'll probably just use that because it's, uh, it's there ready to go. Just oh, pumping up. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I personally, I do love the compact board. I think it's incredible. I think my favorite thing is when we get to show it off in the shop, like how amazed people are at like, whoa, there's a paddle board in there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> like it's this small, but yeah, it fits. I swear there's a board in there. <laughs> Holly, do you, do you have any other questions that you want to ask John? Um, I'm trying to think, I think I have loads of questions, but I think we've covered a lot of things. Um, I think I'm kind of excited to hear what's next. You must have some new ideas in store from your all of your ideas notebooks what have you got some new designs in the kind of process in the works for reds and things yeah we're always, we're always working probably two years ahead probably so we're working on 2025 and then 2026 as well so it takes time to plan all that out especially if you want to register any of the designs or protect anything so we we work a long way in advance so yeah we're, we're working on a bunch of stuff i can't no. tell you because you know give it all away. but uh, <laughs> the, the the main the main theme or anything we we do as a brand is trying to make things easier so make it easier to pump your board up, make it easier to transport your board, easier to choose which one to buy. For example, there's a minefield out there isn't it? To, to, to try and decide that. So trying to refine what we're doing so it just makes it easier because, I mean, some people love choosing new products and, and, and dreaming about it for months on end, but other people just wanted to jump on it and, have it and use it and know it's the right thing. So we're all about ease of use, um, maximizing the technology, the technological advantage or the material advantage that we say, you know, so what else can we do with the drop stitch material um, we've got a really exciting project around that, which I definitely can't tell you about, but, um, yeah, how do we take that onto the next stage? So it, there's so much going on. It would take forever to tell you what, what we're doing, but it is ease of use, ease of access. I think for that, that's the most important thing. Awesome. We're really excited to, to see that come to life. And if, so a lot of our listeners are either new paddlers or people trying to paddle more, um, and they're kind of improving, getting better and better. Do you have any advice for those paddlers who are just getting into it? They might be paddling mainly in social groups or a little bit on their own um, on the coast. What kind of advice would you give them, whether they have a Red Paddle Co board or a different brand? What would make life easier for them? Well, I mean, there's no there's no replacement for practice, is it? And I think that's the best thing about paddleboarding is it doesn't feel like practice. So you just do it more, the more you can do it. Is it the 10,000 hour thing? You know, if you, you do it enough, you become expert. Uh, I think in paddleboarding you need a lot less than 10,000 hours to become very proficient at, at it. Uh, I, I would encourage people to not, f or to focus on locations, go to the, go to interesting places, don't just go to the same old place. Be careful, make sure you, you understand the location and the, and the safety around that and educate yourself on those sort of things and also the equipment you're using. But go and explore because that's the best thing about paddleboarding, particularly inflatable boards. You know, chuck it in the back of the car. Even if you think you're never going to go anywhere near any water because you'll cross a bridge or you'll look down a road and go, oh, I could probably paddle there and, and, and go for a paddle if it's safe and it's the right location. And that is, that's the beauty for me of paddleboarding uh, is you could do it almost anywhere within reason um, and you can see some amazing things from the water. So I would just encourage people to paddle more. And it, and it, no one ever said, you know, I wish I worked more and paddled, paddled less, you know. That it, go out, go out more often because you just learn so much about your board and don't be, don't be scared to fall in so dress for dress for falling in I always say dress for getting wet um, unless it's absolutely middle of Baltic winter but um, still dress to get wet but don't don't try and get wet is my message there but uh, yeah just just get in just jump in get involved you know because I think it's the it's such a great sport um, and it's so accessible it's brilliant 
Oh, thanks for sharing that. I'm sure that would be really helpful. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been awesome to hear all about you as an athlete in windsurfing and then in paddleboarding, as well as how you developed Red Paddle Co and how all of the boards have come to life and kind of what's what the plans are for the future. Um, so where can people find Red Paddle Co boards and is there anywhere online that they can kind of look at? The whole range. Yes, yeah, so we have uh, over a thousand retailers around the world. So if you're in your in your local um, country, just just Google Red Paddle Co. I'm pretty sure we're going to come up top of the list, or one of our retailers will come up. Obviously, our website's got all of those li- all the retailers listed, and you have to look at all the products on there. So yeah, just just the, the classic search for Red Paddle Co. online, and uh, pretty sure you're going to find us, um, and you'll find one of our great retailers. And we're we're a big supporter of retailers. We like having people right there give the advice, make sure you've got the right board, because you see a lot of people with the wrong board. Um, you obviously bought it from a online vendor or something, or, or a non-specialist vendor. So, yeah, let's uh, just search for us, you'll find us, and uh, we'll be happy to help. We've got a CX team, a customer experience team, both in North America and also in, in Europe and in Australia, who uh, will jump on an email or on a call with you and help you out, put you in the right direction for retail. Amazing. Thanks Thank for that. You. Really appreciate it. So, yeah, thanks for joining us today. And uh, we'll send everyone your way when they're in the market for a new inflatable. Um, And uh, yeah, thanks, guys. We'll chat again soon. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you so much, John. Thanks so much for staying tuned and listening to this episode with John Hibbard. We really enjoyed recording it. So we hope that you like listening to it, too. Or please leave us a five-star rating and follow Rise and Glide to stay tuned for next week's episode, which we already can't wait to share. In the meantime, have a great week and I hope that you get out on the water as much as you can. Rise and Glide is brought to you by the team behind Paddle Logger. Get more from your paddling with the Paddle Logger app. Find it on the Apple App Store today.